0: Well, good morning. good morning. You guys may be seated. Welcome to First Pres. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so excited to welcome you uh, to this place this morning as we continue our series on the book of Revelation. How many of you are excited to dig into what today holds? Good. All right. Well, hallelujah. It's going to be fun. I uh, hope you guys had a wonderful 4th of July. What did 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 some of you go to the mountains? How many went to the mountains? Oh, not a whole lot. You guys are smarter than that, huh? Not by the traffic and the crowds. Uh, My wife and I and our our family went to Steamboat this weekend, and uh, the river in Steamboat was absolutely raging. I was looking forward to tubing down the Yampa River, as that's one of the great summer activities in Steamboat, but the the water was actually too high. Um, So, it's a good thing we're not going to have fires this year. Amen. We pray that there's enough moisture and water in the atmosphere to to keep the fires from spreading. But it reminded me of the first time I did get to get into some white water. I was 16 years old and I had a chance to go white water rafting with my youth group down the Ocoee River in Tennessee. How many of you have ever been white water rafting? Alright, a few. it's quite a rush. I really enjoyed it. And I had never been before and before we got in the river, uh, our guide gave us a pretty serious talk. At, at that time, the water was also high and he was telling us that we need to be very careful uh, because they've had several fatalities on this river and one as recent as the week before we got there. On the first class four rapid, he said it's pretty dangerous right now. We think we can get through it, but I need you to all listen and pay attention. And do exactly what I say. And so we, we got ready to go out and, and to get on the river. And, and going in, I was a 16-year-old young man who, uh, who didn't have a fully developed uh, frontal cortex. Um, <laughs> and I was sure there's going to be no problem. You know, I can handle this. And, and we're going through the rapids. And it's fine. It's cold. The water's splashing all over us. And as, as we get ready to go into that first class four, he says, okay, you guys, you guys hold on tight. Get ready, all right? And me and my buddy Jay were on the front of the raft. And uh, as we were going in, we weren't quite lined up the way we needed to be to get into this rapid safely. So our guide instructed us that he was gonna bump off the rock in front of us to push back and then go down into the rapid. Like, no problem. The only thing was, there was a problem. When he hit that rock, I went ejecto straight up in the air. I kid you not, straight up in the air into the rapid. The cold water just just totally shook me and took my breath away, and I started to panic, all right? I started to panic as the water was washing over my face, and I was just going, my arms were flailing. I was doing everything they told me not to do in that moment. I was panicked, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I was going to make it through. I started to have an asthma attack, all right, which is no fun anyways, much less when you're in a class four rapid with cold water splashing over your face, and I felt my head hitting the rocks. I was so thankful for my helmet. Uh, my legs were getting scraped all over the rocks as I passed through this. My body was being torn this way and that way. And I literally thought I was going to die. But right as we kind of got out of the rapid, I felt these arms reach down into the water and pull me back into the boat. So the guy lifted me. And I was like, whew. I was, like my heart was pounding in my chest. Now... I don't know if it was an overreaction or just because the story he told me about the person who died on this rapid the week before, but I was absolutely terrified and panicked. As I look back on that situation though, I've had many moments since then where I've been ejected from rafts, sometimes on purpose, Um, but what I learned is this, had I known how that story would go, I would not have panicked as much as I did, right? If I knew that the guide was going to pull me back in at the end of that rapid and I was going to be okay, I probably would have handled that situation a little differently. Dare I say, I might have even enjoyed it a little bit knowing, well, what an adventure, what a rush. But I didn't know how the story was going to end while I was passing through those rapids. And in the same way, I think about this wonderful book that we're studying. And I wonder if it's not the same for the early church. As John shared this incredible revelation from the Spirit of God, he was trying to tell them, hey, I know there are going to be moments in your life where it's going to feel like you've been ejected from your raft, so to speak. As the evil and and, and, uh, wicked people surround you and swirl around you. And I know there's going to be times where you're not sure if you're going to make it. But I want to tell you how the story ends. The mighty arms of the Lord are outstretched. And he will reach down into the rapids that swirl around you. And he will pull you back into the boat. He will pull you back into safety. Because we know how the story ends. And that should bring great comfort and encouragement to us as we study the book of Revelation. It's that promise. It's the the call for the patient endurance of the saints. Where the, the apostle John understands through the spirit of God that they are living and an age with a lot of wickedness swirling around them. Evil is all around. They're facing the great harlot, Babylon. All this evil and wickedness. But the Lord is telling them, hold on. Your hallelujah is coming. And I'm excited today that the passage that I've got is probably one of the easiest passages in the whole book of Revelation to preach. And so I lucked out here So my title is Hold On, Your Hallelujah is Coming. And today we're going to be digging into Revelation chapter 19. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses. So as you turn there, allow me to give you just a bit of background. What we're going to see here is in stark contrast to what we saw last week when Pastor Jane brought the word. Okay, in Revelation 17 and 18, uh, it talks about the fall of Babylon, and, and you see the lament and the wailing over the fall of Babylon in chapter 18. But now, as we move into chapter 19, the scene shifts back into heaven. All right, so we were seeing from a temporal, earthly perspective that the merchants and the kings were lamenting the collapse of Babylon, But meanwhile, while the merchants and the kings and those of an earthly perspective are lamenting, those of us with an eternal perspective are celebrating. And that's what we see here as we see this great multitude join in with what is known as the original Hallelujah Chorus. All right, it doesn't date back to 1741, it dates all the way back to the book of Revelation. And the present chapter we're going to dig into. Uh, serves as an important kind of psychological transition, marking a return to the key of worship. So we've been kind of focusing the last couple weeks on the evil in the world, on Babylon and and its destruction, but today we shift gears and, and we're transported back into heaven where we see that worship has returned after a prolonged discussion on the powers of evil. So with that said, we're going to read Revelation 19, verses 1 to 10. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Chapter 19, verse 1, it says, After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. I think we've seen that a few times before. Like the roar of rushing waters and like loud pills of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear, and the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And at this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, stop it. That's my paraphrase. Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Amen. Amen. What we see in this passage are four hallelujahs, uh, the original hallelujah chorus. And what's interesting that you may or may not know is this is the only place in the entire New Testament that has the word hallelujah. It is found nowhere else. But in this passage, it is found four times as we find ourselves transported once again back into the scene of heaven and the worship around the throne, as there is great rejoicing over the victory that is guaranteed for those who cling to Jesus. All right, so this morning I want us to break down these four hallelujahs. The first one is this they, they sing hallelujah because victory is ensured victory is guaranteed that even though right now the the saints are going through tremendous persecution, they are suffering, but John points them to the ultimate victory that is guaranteed because that Christ has come and that Christ will come again. And because of that, we have a guaranteed victory through Jesus. Our victory is ensured. This hallelujah is pointing backward to the destruction of Babylon. Babylon had raged against the church. Babylon had inflicted injustice, suffering, persecution. But now Babylon is destroyed, as we see in this revelation given to John. We have ultimate triumph over our enemies. In the end, we win. If you've read the end of the book, you know that ultimately we are victorious, the people of God walk in victory because of what god has done i believe this is one of the reasons that we see throughout scripture god gives us this command to remember remember what i have done remember remember you see all through the bible remember 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 why because as we remember what god has done in the past we have confidence to face the present and the future Because we can stand on his faithfulness, we can recognize how he came through for us in the past. And because of that, we are inspired to trust him in the midst of uncertainty, in an unknown present, in an unknown future. I love what Mark Batterson said. He said, too often we forget what we need to remember. While we remember what we need to forget. So let us remember the things that we need to and let us put our faith and our hope and our trust in this reality. The first hallelujah of Revelation 19, victory is ensured because Babylon will be defeated. The second hallelujah is this. Justice is eternal. We recognize that God's justice will eventually come, and the finality of God's judgment is voiced in the second hallelujah. And it's confirmed by the visible sign that John shares with us in verse 3, that the smoke from her, the smoke from Babylon, will go up forever and ever. In other words, this, this corruption, this evil, this injustice is never coming back God's judgment is final, and he will reign victorious. And here's why. Because it's part of his character. God is a God of justice. Yes, he's a God of mercy and grace, but he's also a God of great justice. And this hallelujah is celebrating the justice of God as this evil system in the world has been opposed to the church. Once it's defeated and God's justice is rendered, the, the saints will worship with a, a, a shout of hallelujah. Not because personal revenge has come, right, but because God's perfect justice has been unleashed in the world. And he will make right all that has been wrong. All right, If you've ever suffered injustice or known someone who suffered injustice and you don't see the justice coming in the present moment... It can be very difficult to hold on to. But, but we, with uh, an eternal perspective, as God's chosen people, as his saints, we hold on to the fact that in the end, everything wrong will be made right. God's justice will be served, just as his mercy and his grace will be released. And we can rest in confidence knowing that justice is eternal because it's part of who God is and it's coming. Because of that, we can join uh, these folks in saying, hallelujah. God's justice is eternal and final. We get into the third, and and where I think it starts getting more exciting, personally, as we see the the third hallelujah spoken by the 24 elders, spoken by the four living creatures, reminding us that we stand in the presence of the throne of God in verse 4. We understand that worship is absolutely essential. As we live in this tension of the present church age, From the time that Jesus rose again to the time that he returns, we live in an age of tension where there's conflict, where there's persecution, where it seems like evil is triumphing and we remind ourselves, no, no, victory is coming, all right? We remind ourselves that justice will be served and in the midst of the waiting, we are reminded that worship is absolutely essential because our victory is found in the presence of the Lord, not through our human striving. So often we find ourselves in these spiritual battles, and and perhaps sometimes we feel like we're losing the battle. Perhaps it's because we're doing it in the energy of our flesh. Perhaps we're relying on our own human effort when God is inviting us to step into his throne room and worship, understanding that victory, spiritually speaking, doesn't come through our effort. It comes through the presence of the Lord. And the saints here are getting a glimpse of that as the 24 24 elders and the four living creatures are shouting out, hallelujah. Worship strengthens the spiritual condition of our hearts as we run with patient endurance the race that God has marked out for us. And here's the key I want us to walk away with this morning. No matter what you're going through. No matter what battle you're facing, no matter how it seems that evil might be triumphing in your life, maybe you're facing sickness in your body or or the death of a loved one, and it just seems that that life is hard right now. Here's what I believe the the author of Revelation, the Apostle John, and the Spirit of God who inspired this would want to encourage us with this morning. And it's simply stay close to Jesus. Cling to Christ. Spend time in his presence because it's in his presence that we are able to walk in victory over all the evil in this world. Hallelujah. Worship is absolutely essential. There's a story in the, in the Old Testament I love. And I wanted to take a moment to look at this story together. It's, it's the story of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat? Jeho? Let's call him Jeho because my mind's not working real good. All right. When Jeho defeats uh, Moab and Ammon in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I love this Old Testament story because what we see through Jeho's response really shows us what it means to fight spiritual battles and to recognize that our, our, our victory doesn't rest in our own effort and ability, but in the arm of the Lord. In 2 Chronicles chapter twenty. As as this vast army of Moab and Ammon is coming against the nation of Israel, Jehoshaphat says this in verse 12. He says, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. How many of you have felt that way before? It feels like the world is against you, everything is against you, and you feel like, I don't have the power to face this army that's coming against me. Well, we're in good company. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the battle, in the, in the, the war that's raging around Jehu, right? Jeho. He says, Lord Jesus, help us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then watch what happens as we jump ahead a couple verses to verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerusalem. Isn't that great? God tells them exactly where the enemy is going to be, exactly where they can find them. And then it says this in verse 17 you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, and with a very loud voice. And early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa, and they set out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness, as they went out at the head of the army. So here's Jehoshaphat's Uh, great military strategy let's put the praise team and the choir out front (laughs) right let's send them into the battle unarmed with anything besides the praise of the lord in their mouths and they went out singing (coughs) excuse me give thanks to the lord for his love endures forever And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. What a beautiful story. What a great reminder that as we face the great injustice and evil in this present church age, while we wait for the imminent return of Christ, we are reminded that worship is essential. Because our victory is found in the presence of the Lord, not through our military might, not through our human effort, not through our religious do-goodness, but in the presence of the Lord, there is great victory. And that is how we can walk in triumph over our enemies, is simply by staying close to Jesus and by filling our mouths with his praise. Whether the circumstances around us warrant it or not, We praise him because of who he is, not because of what we're going through. And finally, the fourth hallelujah. Jesus is exalted. This is the moment we've been waiting for through this whole book, when we see that Jesus ultimately walks in triumph and victory. This fourth hallelujah is looking not to the past, but to the future, when the marriage of the Lamb finally comes, and the restoration Is complete we see that in Revelation verses 6 and 7 that the wedding of the lamb has finally come the restoration is complete And, and for all that we don't know about Revelation one anchor holds true that we go back to over and over and over and that's this that Jesus return is imminent that's the anchor we place our faith to that Jesus Christ will one day return And when he does, he comes to make all things new. To restore everything back to the original design that he had for creation, that he had for us. He is coming to bring restoration. He is coming to bring redemption. He is coming to make all things new. And here in Revelation 19, we're seeing John uh, kind of prophesy about the wedding supper of the Lamb finally coming. And this traces back to a prophecy in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, we first encounter this prophetic message for the church, for the people of God. It says this in verse 6 of Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm, I likes to eat. All right, let me start again because I got distracted. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine. Okay. Come on, Presbyterian. Hallelujah. The best of meats and the finest of wines. Come on. You guys are with me. (laughs) On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Hallelujah. You guys are getting it. Come on. (laughs) The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day, they, we, will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. Trust in the Lord. We trust it in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. See, Isaiah is prophesying what John is seeing here in Revelation chapter 19. And then if you jump forward a couple chapters, uh, since Pastor Eric's on vacation, I'm going to steal some of the best verses in Revelation 21. (laughs) Right, and here's what it says in Revelation 21 verse 4. Another picture of what's coming. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. As John is pointing us to the great feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, A a chorus of hallelujah rises up in heaven, and we see the expectation and the anticipation of the saints who have been following Jesus through persecution, through difficulty, through trial, through tribulation. They are able to look ahead to the great feast that is coming, and with triumph in their voice, shout hallelujah because victory is ensured, because God's justice is eternal, because they understand that worship is essential, and now they see that Jesus is exalted at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And as you study this whole idea of of the the great feast and the the marriage between God and his people, it's an Old Testament concept and a New Testament concept. We see throughout the pages of Scripture this whole idea of, of the bride of Christ, the church being wedded to God. And I've got some references there for you. We'll leave on the screen for a moment if you want to jot those down. But lots of different passages talk about this idea of a great wedding feast when we, the bride of Christ, are finally united with the Lamb of God in heaven. And I love this. In, in verse 9, can we get back to Revelation 19.9? Uh, nine? let see if I can find. I wanted to just read this because this is encouraging. If you can't, just listen. I'm going to get it for you here. This is great. Something that I didn't realize is that Revelation has seven beatitudes. Did you know that? Seven beatitudes, like in Matthew chapter 5, right, when Jesus gives his incredible sermon on the mount, blessed are the poor, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the hungry. There's the blessed, blessed, blessed. That's known as the beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And there's seven beatitudes, seven blessings scattered throughout uh, the book of revelation and this is the fourth right here in revelation chapter 19 verse 9 we see the fourth of seven beatitudes when the angel said this write this blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb and then he added these are the true words of god blessed are those who are invited Have you ever had a moment like that where there was some kind of party going on and and all the coolest people were going to be there and you weren't sure you were going to get an invitation and then all of a sudden the invitation shows up? (laughs) I am cool after all. Right? I'm in. I'm blessed. Right? This is the idea here. Blessed are all those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And friends, I have news for you today. You are invited. You are invited. If you are here this morning, you are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, to that great party in heaven where God puts all things that are wrong right, where Jesus returns, where where we are called up to live with him in eternity, where the restoration is complete, where he's wiped away every tear from every face, where there's no more pain or mourning But where there's eternal celebration and joy and the presence of God, you are invited. And all it takes is to put your hope and your trust in the Lord. The Bible tells us that no man, no woman can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And we wouldn't be sitting in this place this morning if the Spirit wasn't drawing. Many of us have already made that decision to follow Jesus to make him both the Lord and the Savior of our life as we respond to his divine initiative of grace towards us. But that invitation is here today. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never put your faith and trust in him, perhaps today is the day where you hear his voice saying, come, you're invited to the great feast. Come, you're invited to be part of my family, the church. Come, you're invited into my presence. Come, and I will forgive you from every sin you've ever committed. Come, and I will impart to you my divine righteousness, which I accomplished on your behalf through my perfect life, death, and resurrection. Will you hear his voice saying, come? You are invited. See, he's calling now. His sound says somebody's not getting the message. You need to come. All right? I want to just real quickly read for you these seven Beatitudes of Revelation because I think they point us to this, this kind of grand final event where we recognize that God has come to restore all things and make all things new. I'm going to hit these real fast and you can study them more in depth later. Revelation 1.3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. The second beatitude. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, "Write this: Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on." Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. The third beatitude: Revelation sixteen fifteen. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. And then the fourth we just read, Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. The fifth in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of our God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. We'll get to that later. Number six, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. And finally, Revelation twenty two fourteen, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Blessed are those who respond to his invitation to come and be clothed in his righteousness. Here's what we need to understand. Whether we've been following the Lord for years and years and years or whether we're sitting here this morning contemplating making a decision that will forever impact our lives and change our eternal destinies, we need to understand that we are loved and accepted and welcomed into his family, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Not because of what we've done or haven't done, but because of what he did on the cross, because of what he did in his life, because of what he accomplished in his resurrection. We are invited to come and be clothed in white garments, which which is the righteousness of Jesus, which is a free gift to all who will receive it. So this morning, I beg you, friends, if you're here and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, to accept what he's done for you, let this be the day. You might not understand everything. That's okay. Jesus asks us to come to him in faith and to choose to follow him. But for many of us in this room, We've already done that. We've already made that decision. We've already followed him, but perhaps this morning you find yourself and it feels as if you've been thrown from your raft, so to speak. Perhaps you feel uh, just all this negative energy and uh, opposition and tribulation swirling around you. It's like you're floating through a rapid. Then you're, you're banging your head on the rocks and you're, you're scraping your legs and you're struggling to breathe. You're trying to hold your head above the water and you just don't know if you're going to make it I want to tell you this morning friends hold on hold on your hallelujah is coming the arms of the Lord are outstretched and he is mighty to save he will reach down into whatever circumstance you find you in and he will grab you by the vest and pull you to safety because salvation belongs to the Lord We might lose a few battles between here and there, but ultimately we will walk in triumph. We will win the war. And so if that's you and you're struggling today, you're discouraged this morning, don't give up. Restoration is coming. Redemption is coming. Salvation is coming. This is what John is telling us in this incredible passage. Your hallelujah is coming. Just hold on.